Live from Red Bull Studios, New York. We're back at Red Bull Arts New York for our ninth episode of the Top Rank Podcast. This is Marcel. And this is Isabel. So for any new listeners out there, um, this podcast is an offshoot of Top Rank Magazine, a publication based in Brooklyn that profiles women of diverse backgrounds who are driving, shaping, and challenging the world around them. We think of our podcast as a process-oriented research platform grounded in conversation. Working in collaboration with our guests and listeners, we hope to create a flexible knowledge production outlet that is exploratory rather than prescriptive or conclusive. So, on a Saturday in June this summer, Marcel and I spent an afternoon at the Museum of Sex in New York, which has been open since 2002, for those of, of you who don't know, and was the first museum of its kind in the world. We were there to check out their summer show, Not Safe for Work, The Female Gaze, which is a collaboration exhibition with Vice's Creators Project um, that includes 25 young and or emerging female artists working in a variety of media. Which has been extended to January. So go check it out in New York City. Yes. Uh, we're super excited and honored to have here with us today the show's two curators, Marina Garcias Vasquez, who is editor in chief at Creators, and Lisa Rivera, associate curator at the Museum of Sex. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Hi. Hi. So, for anybody who hasn't seen the show who's listening, on actually, it's really exciting that now people who listen to this have a much greater chance of seeing it than we had originally anticipated. We were wondering if you guys could describe its contents a little bit, just kind of give people a conceptual walkthrough, if possible. All right. Well, um, it's a really diverse show in terms of representation and mediums. Um, it's uh, really a very personal show. And uh, yeah, you'll see video, collage, painting, photography, Hopefully there's something for everyone. I, I was um, thinking about, uh, maybe this might be a, the di another question, but you're asking like how would we describe the show? Is this part, part of the same? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I would say it's like a safe haven for self-exposure. Um, a lot of the artists that we have are... Uh, exploring themselves, their self-identity uh, through their artwork. And Lissa and I, you know, spent a lot of time looking um, and considering the artists for their exploration or their sense of exploration. And so a lot of what you see there are people who are working in different mediums, um, working through their messages um, and their self-identity. I was wondering if you two could talk more about the title of the show, actually, uh, Not Safe for Work, Female Gaze. Um, I mean, it, it invokes canonical feminist film theory, um, as well as the, you know, everyday politics of sexual respectability in this, in this idea of not safe for work. So I was wondering if you all could talk a bit more about what the idea of the female gaze means to you as curators and what about the female gaze makes it not safe? All right, so um, <laughs> this is a, a, a collaboration between yeah. um, creators, which is a 
a website and museum of sex. And Not Safe for Work definitely references the internet. And all of the artists in the show have to deal with their work being represented on the internet. They have to deal with um, visibility also comes with um, a different conversation. There's a comment section. There's There are headlines in which um, the people writing articles don't even have control over. Um, and also there's more opportunity as well. So there's a a completely different landscape than it was than what than was experienced before. And I feel like the openness of the internet has allowed women to find their voice in terms of exploring sexuality in a different way because what people click on, which is a lot of the times not safe for work, is kind of something that's Maybe not necessarily always taboo, but something they're really trying to figure out and understand. Um, And I think that what's really amazing now, because in the past, you know, and sexual material, uh, like publications relating to sexual material, like porn magazines, let's say, um, it, it would be unlikely for a woman to feel comfortable purchasing one or even finding uh, maybe a magazine that they really related to it. They weren't the assumed audience. And now online, like with younger people, they don't even know that before and after. So there are people in the show who are, you know, the artists range from like some people were making the work when they were 17. Some people are in their 40s. So there's people who have been on both sides of this and experienced both sides of this. And there's people who have not ever experience the other side and just find it to be ubiquitous to be able to express their sexuality, that this is a part of my life. My desires are a real thing. Everybody looks at pornography. Everyone's seen this stuff. But in the past, it was quite shocking and it was uh, a different experience for someone of my generation. So um, really relating it to the internet and what's not safe and looking at how different generations relate to it and navigate it and have used it as a way um, to express something that wasn't even seen as something available to them before without it being really extremely counterculture. Um, so now it's seen as more of a normative thing to like to want to look at. Um, how, about, how about you, Marina? Yeah, so from the creator's perspective, we... It was something that we felt really strongly about in maintaining the not safe for work. It's a label that um, when you work in the media, you have to assert and put on a piece of content that might have some nudity. And so we are really playing with this idea of something that was taboo. But when you read it and and scroll through it and um, ascertain, you know, the message behind it, it's it's not taboo. It's self-expression. and we were finding that there was this large movement of women artists who were making works of art that were in reference or using the female form with nudity. But there was something really beautiful about it and not not safe for work. Um, and so we just started to, as a team, collect these stories and look for these artists who were doing these things that were really beautiful and underappreciated or undervalued from the mainstream mainstream perspective and wanted to give young women a voice. So as an editorial team, it was something that we were looking for. Um, 
And so when we were having the discussion in relation to the show itself, we wanted to kind of impose that sense that that blocking gate of what is taboo, what is not, but also kind of like flip it on its head, pivot it, make it um, something that is no longer considered that. And these are all impositions that I think women deal with on a daily basis or anyone deals with on a daily basis when it comes to sexuality and sense of self. Um, we have to peel back the layers and figure out what is best for yourself and how you're going to maneuver your life, you know, around, uh, I would say, labels. So these are all like really important kind of juicy tidbits that we, Liz and I, worked through um, in considering the concepts for the show. I mean, just like the idea of the female gaze, we both of us, um, Liz went to art school and I've uh, have an MFA in writing and have looked at, you know, forms of literature with this, under this gaze, um, and looking at the male gaze. And it was something that we knew from an academic perspective, but we wanted to also bring it into more of like a pop culture and knowing that it's kind of trendy as well. And so how do we use that and take bits of that that we would feel comfortable with in sharing with a new generation, other groups of women, um, yeah, in terms of the term female gaze and its relationship to the academic conversation, um, it's really about looking and, you know, reading Laura Mulvey's essay, she's relating it a lot to Freudian theory, which I feel like isn't necessarily as much a part of culture as it used to be. Um, and... I, but I really think that she made some points about looking in power that is really important. And I feel like the word, the term female gaze, we were thinking about not using it. <laughs> but then, you know, we were thinking about the Internet and about trying to be a part of a conversation about what it is. And then we're like, we're going to use it because if someone is looking up to see what the female gaze is, all of these artists will be represented in the conversation. And, you know, I think that we're in a time where we're seeing things in a more fluid sense. And we really, like Marina said, we're looking at artists who are doing very personal work, who are speaking from their own perspectives and not in a totality. And come from all different um, identifications. So um, I think that for me, like the gaze and power is so related. Like if, if you think about it in terms of images, if you think about it in terms of the museum of sex or, or, you know, I feel like so many people are looking to feel power. And um, for so long, um, you know, white men have been in power in creating the images and everyone would get to experience the power, sometimes sadistic, sometimes not, through this point of view. Um, and I feel like as there, um, as, as people achieve more equality, then there'll be ways to feel power from different gender pr perspectives. And um, I feel like a lot of, of the artists are trying to experience power and pleasure. And I feel like looking is very pleasurable, but also um, we have works in the show where they kind of draw you in, but don't necessarily allow you to get off. Um. 
you know, I think that that's kind of, it's probably like a bummer for some people who are going to come to the museum thinking it's a, a peep show and there's nothing wrong with peep shows. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's really interesting. We just wanted to really be a part of a bigger conversation and it really made, like, you know, everyone's at, uh, asking different questions, really. That's actually work. something I was going to ask. Was it a conscious choice to keep it more, slightly more PG-13? I actually was expecting it to be more explicit. So did you, like, did you choose to have, you know, pictures that were revealing but didn't quite necessarily take it to, like, an X-rated place? Or how much was that part of your conversation as you were carrying it? Sorry, this isn't in the script, but it was something <laughs> that we were had been discussing just, and it seems to make sense. I think it was really about discovery um, and the sense of discovery. Uh, we oftentimes, I mean, we had so many artists that we are considering that we wanted to work with. But what, as we sat down to decide, it was months of conversations like this where we would spend hours just pouring over someone's work and saying, what is really happening here? What is at stake? what is this person wanting to say to the world? Is there a message? Um, and we looked at desire for many ways. Like, is this person wanting the desire, the gaze on them? And how are they using it? Is it political? Is it self-exploration? Um, these are all hearty conversations. And many times we would sit back and say, oh, we're imposing our own ideas. So we need to take that back. Or there was an artist that Lissa was really excited about, and I was like, I don't understand what this person is doing. And it took some time. Or we would, we knew that there was something happening with the work itself, but we couldn't name it. So we had to figure out personal narratives and experiences. Um, and once we found out, like we had to go back and ask some some questions from the artist. Like I said, it was about discovery and exploration for ourselves as well. And when we started to talk to the artists themselves about their inspirations, their motivations, like their personal stories would come out and we're like, oh, this is really profoundly important and things we don't talk about and we need to include it because of exactly this reason. But then we would ask, like, are you okay sharing this part of your story with the public? Um, and that was really important to us. So it was like many conversations to be had, like what are we bringing the t to the table? What are our assumptions? What are our motivations? What is the artist doing? And how is it that we can keep this kind of lively mix? And it was really like not sex for the sense of sex or penetration for the sex, like the sake of penetration. I mean, we've had hilarious conversations because there are body parts and it is sexuality. And you're watching many times like pornography um, and people having sex. But we're like, the, what does this act say about the individual? Right. Yeah, I think that um, their voices are really important. Like we're adding a, because we feel it's so important, we're adding this element, which is a, an audio, almost like an audio tour where we're having phones and you're going to be able to pick up the phone and hear the person talking directly to you. Um, and uh, Marina's also organized panel discussions, which you could still see archived um, on the creator's Facebook and um, we've also had meetups, like in terms of it being a safe space where the artists just kind of talk about what they were working through to each other. I think that we're wired in a way to look at um, female identifying people who are using their body or exploring their sexuality as 
we judge them quickly or our culture judges them very quickly. And you really have to slow down and on and listen to them because what they're working through, they're taking a lot of risks, they're exposing a lot. And it is very personal. And I feel like in the academic um, in academia, when it comes to the art world, there's this preference to the not pers- the, the impersonal, the the um, more formal as being more valuable. So we were wondering who you had envisioned being the audience for this show. And also, how is the, I mean, not that you necessarily thought of a target audience in a kind of commercial way, but how is a target audience shaped by this particular partnership where you have these two audiences, like a Vice audience and a Museum of Sex audience coming together? And I was thinking today when we were, when I was kind of preparing for this about the female gay show at Kyman Reed, the two, the one in, in 2009 and in 2016, and how the first similarly to yours was images made by women that were often of women. And it was kind of this idea of collapsing the voyeur and the subject. And then the second show last summer was images of men by women. So it's a slightly different take when it, when it came to like perceiving an audience. But anyway, I, we would love to hear what you guys are thinking about that. Um, I think for very early on, we knew that our audiences were kind of intersecting. That was the beauty of the partnership to begin with. We knew that, you know, Vice as a media company at large is really, um, you know, targeted to and speaking to a young generation. So 18 to 25. And um, when we were discussing just the concept of the show, Lissa was like, young women, this is something that I've been wanting to uh, take on and have an exhibit around. And uh, the museum itself um, welcomes like a large population of young women who go to the museum for the first time, probably to learn about sexuality at large, um, things that they don't get in their home, in their communities. Um, so we knew very early on that our demographic was skewed young um, and primarily for women. We wanted to speak to younger women and we wanted to inspire people to be creative and to not have body shame and to use their body as a way to communicate, um, whether it's a visual language or, um, you know, a poetic message or a political message. We really wanted this to be a part of a larger conversation, um, especially because of the time frame. You know, this year has been incredibly hard politically for women. Um, and I think that that was also in the air. Like we need, this is an important thing to do for ourselves um, and, and for our own, you know, beliefs, but, um, but to be kind of a resource for other women. Yeah. I I think that there have been a lot of um, exhibits in New York focusing on women's perspectives. And I think that that's really important that, that um that I hope that it's not a trend. I hope that there's this opening that's happening and we're all rushing into it and forcing it open in a way that stays open. I feel so much solidarity like working with Marina. I feel so much solidarity with all of the artists and I feel that with the audience too. Um and it's just wonderful to see the different people who are coming in 
I spy on them. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you're actually there. Yeah, yeah I you can go see, down yeah. Yeah, and oh, spy fun. on them. What have I, you, like, overheard on your spying? <laughs> oh, you know, I, I, I just noticed people reading the labels, which is really good. Um, so I which see makes some me incredibly things. happy because we wrote those. Yeah. <laughs> we I, read them. They're engaged. Yes, we read them yeah, too. Yeah, people are engaged. And I feel like, I mean, once in a while, I will see an uncomfortable couple walking through, holding hands really tightly. And they'll walk around really quick and then leave. <laughs> like, mm. and, and I think that that's a little, that's kind of funny. But I feel like, you know, I feel like people are pretty engaged. Wasn't it recently that a young woman was like, this is the first time I've seen porn? Yeah, someone said that um, other artists, so I, all, all the artists can come in and bring whoever they want, but the artists have been coming in and listening in too. And someone noticed that um, as they were exiting, they were talking about, this is the first time I've seen porn. Um, the funny thing is, is I think there's only one... Real porn. One real porn in the, in the exhibit. Um, so I think it's good. I think, I think that, um, I think it's good. I was actually wondering if you could talk a bit more about this opening, um, for women artists, um, that we've observed has been kind of, um, emerging and the topic of womanhood and femininity. So, I mean, I guess as we all kind of probably agree, the ideas of womanhood and of femininity, like all other social categories that we're all kind of tied with, are, I like to think of them as floating signifiers. I'm stealing that from Stuart Hall, but um, mm. yeah, A. Um, so, you know, they're performances consisting of learned ways of being, learned ways of behaving, learned ways of seeing, even gazing. Um, so this idea of a female gaze, um, or I guess a gaze of any any kind, is, is cultural, like inherently cultural. It's learned, it's not innate, nor universal, but intensely subjective. Um, so thinking, Isabel and I were like thinking through this idea of the female gaze and what it means to us in relation to the show. And we um, actually drew upon Bell Hooks's really important um, essay, 1992 essay in response to Laura Mulvey's uh, called The Oppositional Gaze. Um, where she takes uh, Mulvey to task by questioning the very idea of this like total totalizing universal subject of woman, I guess with a capital W. Um, and instead, of what, uh, with what um, Hooks argues really importantly is for a an idea of womanhood, an idea of femininity that is um, references a specific subject that is necessarily situated by race, class, and history, social context. Um, so taking all that preamble, <laughs> I was wondering how both of you as curators locate your your own subjective gaze, whether it be woman, female gaze or otherwise. And how does that gaze inform your curatorial collaboration, how you put together the work, how you chose the artist, how you discuss the artist and perhaps even like argued over artists? I don't know. When we were looking at art, it, I think that... Um, there was there was this idea of beauty, but that beauty is really complex, and it's not just about like a standard. It's subjective, 
And because I am a woman of a color and because I come from a lot of like varied experiences, um, I am from California and live in New York and, you know, a million things that we just add on layers to ourselves. Um, yeah, I, I think that there, the things that you see on the wall in the exhibit are something that, um, are nice to look at, but there's a lot more depth to it. And I think that that is just like something that is important to me as well. Like I'm a writer, so I like intuitively need something deep, I don't know, and a story behind it. Um, and it, and I don't go for facade or light or pretty colors, you know, those things are nice, but like they don't really do anything for me. And I think that as well, like art is become meaningful and a symbol um, for power and a symbol of, um, I guess, rising above, you know, and, and so being raised by a woman who valued that, just like a simple image that could get you to the next place, um, I think was really important and definitely set the tone for what you see there. I have like a strong sense of like being an outsider and wanting to kind of like have like more challenging perspectives that perspectives that challenge culture. And that's really, really important to me. I mean, my mom was raised very like to have a lot of shame about her sexuality and her body. But at the same time, there's uh, these contradictions where at the same time she was like, I'm not going to wear high heels. I'm not going to wear makeup like screw that, you know. So um, it's so I kind of have this kind of like real sense of freedom and real sense of um, like having a really strong voice, but always struggling with like the the different like pains that my parents exhibited um, in front of me. So I'm really sensitive to people who are dealing with some kind of pain. And um, so that's why like when I'm looking at work that's about sexuality, I think that sexual relationships have they're not just orgasms and, um, you know, shiny hearts. It's like it's like um, there's also a lot of pain and there's a lot of ways that I mean, and like like we have an exhibit called animals in the show and and in the museum. I mean, and and animals, you see that animals work out different um, social relationships through sexual behavior. And I feel like there's just so much complexities to sexuality that beyond pleasure and um, I wanted to show that in the work I think that that was like really important I didn't want I'd, I'm not saying there's no pleasure there's no you know in the in the show there's a ton of pleasure in the show but there's also um, a questioning like is it okay to have pleasure like and other different things that you go to to try to achieve the right to have that pleasure as a woman I mean, it's, you sound like you both had really fascinating, yeah. <laughs> eclectic childhoods. I was wondering, I mean, how much of this kind of exploring of your own backgrounds did you do? How did that inform your curatorial collaboration, like these two different worlds? I mean, there's there are similarities, obviously, but... <laughs> yeah, I was, I, I hadn't thought about it again until we sat down to talk that day. And I was like, oh, like... You know how sometimes there's this aha moment like, oh, I've always been on this path. Like this is not a departure from my own politics or personal politics. But I mean, I went to an all girls Catholic high school growing up. And so I had women all around me and uh, reckoning with 
sexuality and sense of self was a big deal. Um, and oftentimes, you know, there was that revolt. You didn't want to be cookie cutter or behave. And behaving really was like behaving for who? Like behaving for a religion, behaving for your parents, behaving for a society, who and why? And why do you dress the way you do? Or why do you wear makeup the way you do? And so I think that a lot of the decisions that we made it within the show and the curation of the show was like, we don't have a right to impose those things. Um, those may be different for a, that person, but I don't have a right to say that's right or that's wrong. And it was really, I think that like, we're really um, delighted by like how the, how the women would make their decisions or like, just like, this is what I want. This is what I want to portray. And I think there's like a real beauty, intelligence and power in that. Um, so, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I think too, like being an artist that explores desire and identity through my work. I was really thinking about like, whoa, like would I push that far? Like, <laughs> like, like, oh, I'm super impressed by that. Or they're like. Take, taking on this question that I would feel completely uncomfortable with or like why I would never, you know, like, like would I ever do that, you know, and kind of like looking at different ways that like people are taking on challenges and taking on risks. And, you know, like there are, you see it all the time. Like you, you read articles about professors who are fired because they've done, you know, in art programs because they've done nude photos before so a lot of these people are taking professional risks and that's scary you know like even like working at the museum of sex I tell some people of a certain generation and they laugh at me so they don't see it as like an achievement to be working at a museum and curating like they just are like what do your parents think about that so um I, yeah I just think that a lot of the artists like are are really taking on challenging subjects. Yeah, I feel like what you said about growing up in outsiders actually reminded me of Bell Hooks's discussion of what the oppositional gaze is, which is that moment of rupture where instead of being inside the story, instead of being a character that's looking or being looked at, that you're actually the third party, like beyond the wall. And Perhaps that is also informative of why, I mean, having inhabited that role socially in your own life and wanting to ask those questions about what the narrative is as someone who wasn't actually involved in it, it's interesting that you have come to this kind of path. Well, but, think about it. Like, I, I'm in an office. Sometimes there's piles of porn all over the place, like old magazines, like stacked all around me, like I'm in some kind of igloo. And... <laughs> It's like all completely alien to me. Like when I look at it, I see it. I mean, maybe it's because I'm desensitized because I work around this stuff so much. But I look at it and I just feel like it's not for me at all. And Bell Hook's essay is so profound. I mean, like I feel like Laura Mulvey was just starting to grapple with a new language of speaking about something for the first time. But I feel like Bell Hooks is like really what she was saying is really profound. I can't even imagine what it is like to have to deal with so many images 
that you feel completely alienated by. And I mean, like, as a woman, your value is so linked to your body and you're so wired to have to fight that. You know, when you go through the line at Dwayne Reed and you're surrounded by these messages everywhere. I mean, like, even when you're at work, it's always like a, a, you feel on one side or the other, you know, like, oh, this is great. Like, I don't feel like because I'm not in this body that I am being treated better or worse, you know, like, um, like you think about these things as a, as a woman and, you know, your value is so linked to your body and you're born into it. And you have no escape from your body. Everyone's trying to escape from it um, through manipulating their image, you know, online. But, um, you know, that's why people are so drawn to the Internet like moths. But (laughs) um, I don't know. I just I just feel like like um, like I wanted like people to feel like they saw themselves in the show. I did. We did our best. We tried, we reached out to a lot of people. I mean, I would say the same thing, just like working in media as a woman of color. Like, how often do you see um, portrayals of, you know, your own communities um, or just on television? I mean, I don't know, has there ever been a really intelligent, maybe this is too far, but like, you know, sitcoms or anything for the Latino community, we... When you work in the media, you're just like, we don't have the things that represent us. We're either typecast all the time, and there's all these stereotypes of being like the sexy, voluptuous thing, but of course with hourglass figure. Um, And, you know, like, not everyone is like that. Broad shoulders are beautiful, too, you know? And um, I think that all of these, like, small distinctions of other, um, we, when you're raised, you know, as like a within another culture within the United States, you you definitely feel like you're from looking from the other side like that. Like Bell Hooks writes about you're you're not you're looking from the other side of the mirror um, and it's never you participating. It's never you or if it is, it's not someone that looks like you. Um, and so that those were distinctions that we were really aware of. Um, I think also for me, like this use of body and um, portraying the female form, but in a way that's intelligent was really a goal as well. It's like, yes, the beautiful, like women are beautiful and the naked form is beautiful, but there's also an intelligence. Like how can we show both? That was really important. Um. One of the key provocations, as the show stated in the wall text, and actually, a uh, segue, I really liked that you had those more in-depth bios with each piece of work, because I, f- I mean, most shows obviously don't have that, or at least they're not as focused on the artist's personal life. They're focused on the work. Right, the so it was so it was really nice to, you know, not have to look up the artist later, but actually just to have that entry or that question was already there, which I. Now that you've spoken about why you did that, it makes a lot of sense, and I thought it was really successful. But anyway, back to my question. Um, One of the key provocations, as stated in the curatorial wall text, um, is that the show intends to shatter mythologies of female sexuality. So we were wondering if you could talk a little bit about what those mythologies were to you 
which we may have already touched upon a little bit, but also how you saw the works as being in contradiction to them. Well, yeah, I, you know, it's really interesting. I just did this, another interview with someone um, working on this website called The Sex Reporter, and she um, interviewed people on the street and asked them if they had watched porn before, uh, women in particular, and most people were like, no, 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 no. I've never seen that. You know, I don't watch that. You know what I mean? Like there or I, I feel like um, there's like a sense still that's, you know, I we're in a bubble like we're in, in New York City. Like there's a not safe for work section on creators. I'm at the <laughs> Museum of Sex. Like, but, um, you know, I've worked in other museums where I mean, I wrote a blog post before and I was talking about a rooster and I said cock and it was part of a quote and then everyone was laughing about it at the office because it was so unusual <laughs> to kind of like talk about sexual subject matter um, in an open way and um, you know I feel like there is still this um, this assumption I mean you like go on a porn aggregate website like there's just like the ads all around are assuming that there's a male audience so there's this uh, I think there's still a big cultural assumption that you know women read romance novels that they're more about talking they're not really about um, the visual they don't really enjoy porn they wouldn't like it um, and then often when p women do make porn it gets co-opted and like <laughs> they don't even get to get off on it before it gets you know, it, it gets into another realm. Um, but we're kind of like showing, yeah, that women do like that. They I mean, I've always been a woman that's like felt like I was masculine because I like to make dirty jokes. I'm interested in sex. I like only like really reading books if there's sex in it. Um, you know, so I've always felt like some kind of a <laughs> like a dude or something um, because of that. And I just like I'm kind of like like finding all these other women who like, I think Marina and I had another conversation where we're always like the initiator when dating. Like we're always like, yeah, you can just go up to guys. And if you initiate, then it's so easy. Like, um, and, but like, that's not, I don't know if that's the norm. Like, I feel like you're taught that you are supposed to like wait until someone talks to you, but we're always like, no, I'm going to go get what I want. Like, I'm going to be the one who goes after the one night stand and like, but and I felt like everyone in the show, like I don't feel that kind of gender difference. Like I think everyone's like I in a group I was talking, I think maybe you were there it was like after a panel and we're all talking like, like I've never been to a girl's night out <laughs> because like we never felt like because of our interests that we were like girls somehow. But like we're showing that you can be a girl and still like be interested in sex. I, that's just one, one um, thing I was thinking about, <laughs> Marina. I don't remember what the question was. <laughs> oh, we were, we asked oh. about the sexual mythologies and how the show is pushing back against, pushing back against them. Oh, um, I mean, I think uh, w one of the mythologies is you know the he being heterosexual. I think if you look at the work, there's no real inclination for it to go one way or another because it is about self. And so and it's about someone's 
decision one way or another. And more and more we're talking about bi- like gender being fluid, binaries out the door. Um, so that's one assumption. The other is just like that sexuality is about penetration or the act of sex. Um, and oftentimes it's not. Um, so, yeah, I just there's so many things that, you know, that are imposed upon us uh, because of our because of what we see on television or what has become normalized um, in media and movies and our culture. And so, yeah, just wanting to to kind of break from that and show other perspectives, um, even the idea of masturbation. Like one of my favorite pieces is um, Aaron M. Riley's uh, textile portraits because it is about private time and Shauna McAndrews sculptures. They're about women in their own space. Um, exploring their own sexuality without anyone involved. Like, how lovely is that? Um, <laughs> yeah, Rebecca Goyette has a bride with a penis inside to symbolize, like, being able to satisfy yourself. Because in the end, you have you. you, And that was something that was really important, and you know, that I think we both discovered through the work. I actually wanted to... I, I think we touched upon the topic that I'm about to introduce, um couple minutes ago but this idea of um the trend i guess in the art world that we're seeing emerging whether it be group women shows or shows that are addressing a feminist perspective from a variety of different vantage points so you know feminism is in fashion right now which i i which is great i mean yes um and you know, in the in the work of curating a show and the work of producing art, particularly those that I think that, that the show that you all curated engages with is about picturing the human form. And ultimately in that act is um, kind of participating in objectification uh, and commodification of some sort. I mean, we're all kind of complicit in this. Um, but I was wondering if you all could describe... Um, how you both have navigated this kind of inevitable objectification that has to occur when imaging the body, curating works that are about the body, as well as imaging feminist perspectives. And I guess like a tag that I'd add to that is how do we make sure that this type of curatorial perspective is not just a trend? Like how Mm. how do we kind of keep the wave going? There's so many tangents we can go from there, but one of the things that I would say that that we have conversations um, editorially on creators is this idea of um, the ne- this generation, like the eighteen to twenty five. Like I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that they relate to being feminists. Uh, I think that's where intersexuality comes from. Like they don't want th- these women don't want to be just like this thing because it came from an era where there were there were a lot of gross injustices. Um, and, and they didn't speak for a lot of populations. So I think that first and foremost, like I wouldn't like pin it to being a feminist. Um, I don't know what the new, the contemporary term is. I think the contemporary is about terms and, and having it, you know, be a lot of signifiers, um, that relate to you and solely your own experience. Um, I guess like historically speaking, there's a lot that we can pull from and contextualize, and why it's important um, to add to this conversation. But I think that just the the fact that we two kind of institutions came together and um, developed a safe space and um, trusted people like Lissa and myself 
to really move forward with the best intentions to, and like we really did it out of service for other artists, you know? Um, I think that's kind of really like the best that we can do and try to move these ideas, ideas, ideologies forward for a, a bit generation after us. You know, I mean, we also talk about this exhibit, not just being for women, but be for young men and coming and seeing and seeing something new. Um, and valuing women in different ways. Using the term female gaze was like hard for me because I'm, I feel like more like I, I, I'm kind of an, like a feeling a lot of suspicion about the gender binary. And I felt like it was very binary to say like female gaze, but we still wanted to be a, show a non-binary conversation, but draw people in with that term. So our conversation is non-binary. We have all different types of um, identifications and bodies represented. Um, and I, you know, it's really, I've been thinking a lot, but I don't know if I should say it here because I probably sound crazy. But, um, but you know, <laughs> like in terms of the politics of the gaze and like the white male gaze, um, which has been the most common gaze, it's a queer thing to experience as a woman you're always listening to the rolling stones like singing about women they want to fuck or you're always hearing men sing about women they want to you know like do all these things too and you're watching women through the gaze and you're watching women undress and looking at their legs and enjoying like the eroticism of looking um, mostly through that point of view and that is a like a a very gender bending thing. It's not meant to be, but it totally is. And I feel like women are kind of um, wired to look at other women in a very sexual way. That's really that um, is it. That's actually pretty queer. And um, I think that you know now that a lot of younger people are looking online at sex all the time. They're looking at bodies like. Um, in intercourse a lot and they're identifying with different genders they might like in one video identify with the male or the female or you know like they like you're online and you're looking at this there's this huge like world of imagery and of ways to identify and um, I think often people who look at porn look at a lot of different things so you're experiencing all these different identities through identification and I feel like the way you look at yourself often comes through the way that you like imagine other people to see you and through the way that you imagine other people to see you you look at other people and it's a way to kind of adapt in a sense so like i might be like you know like isabel thinks i'm fat i know it you know what i mean like and then and then it might bring up some kind of weird insecurity, which doesn't exist, which happens to be like how you look at yourself and how you're interpreting how other people look at you. And I was just like, you know, thinking about all these different ways that people are more open to um, seeing this more fluid state of, of looking because of sex being so much more part of culture now. Um, so I really like wanted it to be kind of, like a queer experience for people, you know, like to come into the into the space. I don't think that sounds crazy at all. Yeah, <laughs> <not> at all. <laughs> I, I was thinking like 
you said you asked something about the commercialism or the commodification of. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that, you know, what media does is unfortunately tends to do that, you know, um, and, and thinking of the, the art as artifacts, right? Like each piece is like very symbolic of a time and space. Um, I, I don't think we can escape that, but what is the meaning behind it or what can that, what is the opportunity there to have someone change their mind or, I mean, a piece like Polly Noor's illustrations, which are really humorous and dark, but lovely because they're humorous and dark. Um, everyone identifies with because there's a, that devil being in all of us. And is it our sexuality or is it something else or is it our skin? Um, and I love that question. And it's very simple there. And it's, it's kind of handed over to you kind of like all of the deep things that we're talking about in a really kind of cartoonish, fun way. Yeah, those are some of my favorite, actually. Yeah, I was like, oh, this like is me and my boyfriend's <laughs> on. Yeah. I liked a lot of the drawings, like Brandy Twilly, too. I liked her stuff. But, um, okay, well, actually, we wanted to talk a little bit about beauty, which is a conversation, a uh, term that's come up in this in this conversation. And there's a lot of ways we could approach this. I mean, I guess one way is the... I was I was interested in what you said earlier about the divorce between the personal and kind of what's been considered to be of the highest quality and intellectual merit in art in, let's say, the past 70 years, I think is fair. But um, I guess one place to start would be writings like Venus in Exile and conversations about... Um, how when beauty is judged, the subject autom automatically becomes in some way objectified, inanimate, and whatnot, and how that has created this kind of taboo of talking about beauty in relation to art. And I think that a lot of that came from a place of wanting to protect women or protect th the thing being looked at. But w So if the socially normalized correlation between beauty and femininity is inescapably problematic... Pursuit of empowerment via beauty, even with new standards of multiplicity, inclusion, self-acceptance, still represent kind of an intersection of gazes which can be perceived as ultimately unempowering. So we noticed that you didn't use the word beauty in the press materials, and we were wondering if that was intentional and kind of like what your thoughts were with how this idea fits into this conversation as it is this really fraught thing in you know, artistic practice and the discussion of it? Um, I guess I'll speak first because I've been working on a project for several years called Beautiful Boy about my partner. And beauty is a really important word to me, but I didn't think it applied to our show. I didn't, you know, I saw needing, I saw visibility as being important to the show. I personally think that beauty is very subversive and not necessarily and and the way that beauty is gendered now is a cultural thing that in the past for a long time men wore makeup and it wasn't until after industrialization that the practicality of masculinity um, became a thing that had less to do with beauty and you know my project it's called beautiful boy and you know like after you reach a certain age you're supposed to not feel like you can identify as beautiful and I've had partners who I've said they were pretty and they've gotten very like uncomfortable 
with it. So I, as a, I wanted to feel the pleasure of looking. And I have, as an artist and as a curator, curator, I get so much pleasure from looking. Like, like Anna Biller's work, there's long takes on glassware, <laughs> long takes on someone picking up a fruit from a food arrangement. There's like long takes on sequined fabric. And I feel like they're so erotic. And I think that um, a lot of artists have used beauty as subversion, like the decadent um, time period in the 1890s, like, or even as, um, you know, in rock and roll, like the androgyny of it has always been a, a subversion. And I feel like the thing that I really like is kind of drawing people like moths into these situations through a, through understanding the use of the language, drawing people in and then forcing them to look at things that they wouldn't normally want to look at or understand. And also showing beauty as something that's like that should be open to women to not just have to inhabit, but to also get to consume. So... Um, I I really think that I'm very sensitive uh, about beauty, but maybe uh, I just, um, I don't know. I, I didn't want everything to be easy. Mm. Um, and I don't like it when women are supposed to, like there's this one Marina Abramovich piece where she's like, the artist must be beautiful. And she's like hitting herself in the head with a hairbrush, you know, and I felt that way even in art school. I felt like, Okay, like I felt like the popular pretty girl thing like could have ended in high school, but now I'm in a class with a male teacher and it's happening again. Um, and there's still kind of like, especially with Instagram and the uh, in the um, being a what's like a personality or something. I don't know what it is <laughs> like, or something. Oh, an influencer. Yeah, an yeah. influencer. <laughs> to being an influencer still has, like, you have to show skin or have to, like, learn how to pose and, like, learn how to kind of incorporate that um, to become, to get more followers. Um, I don't know. So I don't like, I don't like value being, the value of what a woman can produce being based off of their body and how thin they are, how much space they take up. Or, you know, I don't like that. But I love beauty. <laughs> I think I just assumed that the beauty was there. I mean, the room, the build out of the room itself is beautiful. Uh, in each piece, there's all these nuanced details. I can tell you about the beautiful spaces that I find within each of the pieces of art that like I get really excited about. Like, um, But I, I don't know if I would have wanted to just sit down and call it beautiful because of all of the layers that we were talking about in all... Um, of the complexities uh, around, you know, being a woman. And, you know, I think that that would that almost felt like an imposition. Um, and also, I guess it's like a, a not a shallow, but like a false a falsity of like what is everyone has their own sense of beauty and what they will take away with it. 
uh, from the exhibit, but I, we really wanted there to be a lot of diversity so that everyone could find a sense of beauty, that there wasn't just like an aesthetic that would you could like sweep through and like call it out for one thing, but that there were many, you know, um, opportunities to find yourself within the works themselves. Yeah, I think with that, thanks so much to both of you, to Lissa Rivera and Marina Garcia Vasquez. Um, Lissa Rivera is associate curator at the Museum of Sex. Marina Garcia Vasquez, editor in chief at Creators, uh, collaborated on Not Safe for Work: The Female Gaze, which you can check out at the Museum of Sex in New York City. Thanks so much to both of you. This was really a pleasure. Um, yes, thank you. And to Red Bull yeah, for shout hosting out to Red Bull. us. And to Sienna, our producer. And shout out to Hassan. Yeah, and to Hassan. Our engineer. And Top Rank, the magazine that created this podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think we got all our bases covered. <laughs> yeah, if you want to learn more about Top Rank Magazine, you can find us on the internet, of course, um, at Top Rank Magazine, on Instagram, and on Twitter. Also, um, yeah, Isabel and I are really keen and um, really want to uh, collaborate with any of you listeners out there. So if you all have any ideas for things we should talk about um, or people we should talk to, email us. Uh, you can reach me at marcel at topbreakmagazine.com. And me at isabel at topbreakmagazine.com. All right. Until next time. Bye. Send me in my outer bag Send me to your house